Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Week 5 Recap Edition. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm the Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, you just got back from college game day in Blacksburg. Game might have been a little rough. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first question is, how was it being at college game day? Game day was awesome. Uh, Atmosphere was awesome. I have never seen that many people in Blacksburg at one time. Uh, I think, you know, just being at game day and then seeing the amount of people that just went to tailgate, not even to go into the game. I mean, that's how crazy it was. I think the stadium, I got into the stadium probably an hour before kickoff or an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff. And I'd say the stadium was completely full about 35 minutes prior to kickoff. So uh, that's that was the kind of atmosphere we were dealing with. And the people that didn't come into the stadium were all downtown watching the games at bars. So it was an unbelievable atmosphere. College game day was great. You know, Reese Davis said it multiple times and Kirk Herbstry said as well. It was the best crowd they've had at game day all year. And uh, Lee Fitting, the executive producer for College Game Day, actually also tweeted out, you know, if you want to have game day come to your school, take some notes from Virginia Tech they did it right. So atmosphere was fantastic. Of course, the game could have gone a little bit better for my Hokies, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, there you go. That's That sounds like a fun trip. Uh, I myself am back from Atlanta. I didn't say anything about it on the preview. We went to Atlanta and watched the Georgia Tech-UNC game. I uh, was able to surprise the mom while we were there, so that was good. She's a, uh, a loyal podcast listener, so couldn't, couldn't tip the hand that way. But uh, we had a good weekend as well. Uh, we got in, and, and first thing we saw was uh, Miami and Duke that uh, Friday night. That was not as entertaining nearly as the, uh, the later game, Washington State-USC. We stayed up late watching that, and that was a, a good Friday night to lead into college football Saturday. Uh, Mike, we, we talked about this this week coming in as this was learn something week, right? For the ACC. Uh, we had a lot of very interesting matchups in a lot of different ways. We were going to learn something about a lot of these teams. And so that's kind of what I want to address all these games from is what did we learn about these teams? Who did we learn more about in each of them? And uh, I realize in our spreadsheet, we've got the Friday night game first, but let's actually start with your Hokies. Uh, number two, Clemson 31, number 12, Virginia tech 17, uh, this was the Saturday night, again, college game day treatment, uh, ACC, uh, eight, 8 o'clock on ABC game. Um, this was not nearly as much of a, uh, a boat race game as Clemson-Louisville became in the second half here a few weeks ago. This was a lot more competitive. Uh, Virginia Tech made a few mistakes and Clemson capitalized on them, but on the whole, I mean, this was a fairly competitive game, uh, and, and I think that in some ways that's that's pretty encouraging for a Virginia Tech team. It's kind of young, kind of rebuilding on offense against a Clemson team that has just looked monstrous early this year. Uh, what did you see in this game? Who did you learn more about watching this game in person? Well, it confirmed my thoughts on Clemson being the cream of the crop and the elite team in the ACC from a talent standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. They're the best team in the ACC. It's not even close. Um, that was confirmed this weekend as I was in attendance there at the game. Um, I learned more about Virginia Tech, though. Um, I, I knew that Virginia Tech would be able to compete with Clemson. I also mentioned in the preview that the Hokies are still rebuilding, and they're very young, especially on the offensive side of the football. They gave up some big plays in this football game. Defensively, uh, they let Feaster get loose on a 60-yard pass play with nobody covering him. Um, you can't have busted coverage plays against a team like Clemson. You can't have it happen. Uh, that was a big-time mistake by the defense, but as a whole, I thought the defense played extremely well in this football game. Kelly Bryant had over 100 yards rushing. 
Um, but really it was only confined to about five or six runs that he ended up breaking loose. I thought Virginia Tech did a pretty good job overall containing him and his running ability. And for the most part, Virginia Tech did a very nice job in this football game of stopping the run of Clemson, especially the running backs. Uh, I, I was very impressed with you know how they schemed things up, and, and Bud Foster did a great job, and you could tell that you know, they were ready to play on the defensive side of the football. They overcame some early adversity with that long touchdown pass I just spoke about, and they really locked things down later on in the game and gave the offense ample opportunities. The problem was, and you and I spoke about this in the preview as well, was whether or not Virginia Tech was going to have enough offense to beat a team like Clemson. And I told you, hey, if you know this game stays under 20 points for Clemson, if they don't get into the 20s, I think Virginia Tech would have a great chance to win. I still believe that now after watching that game because there were just so many issues that the Hokies had on offense that you know really amplified the mistakes that they made. Um, every mistake that the Hokies made on offense specifically, whether it was a fumble, whether it was poor conservative play calling by Brad Cornelson, I was not pleased with the play calling in this in this football game from a fan standpoint. Um, a lot of you know, short fourth down plays that they got into. It was like fourth and two, fourth and three, third and two, third and three. They're throwing bubble screens against one of the fastest defenses in college football. That's not how you get the job done. Um, And that's what bothered me in this football game. Uh, Once again, they were afraid to let Josh Jackson loose. Jackson threw two interceptions in this football game. One of them was a pass that should have been caught by Henry Murphy that he literally tipped up in the air and was intercepted by Dorian O'Daniel and ran back for a touchdown. And the other one was late in the game. I believe it was Austin Bryant or somebody else on the defensive line for Clemson made unbelievable, like one-handed interception, just an athletically freakish play, um, which was extremely impressive. But on a whole, Josh Jackson was fantastic and a great showing for him. But Virginia Tech made a ton of mistakes. Every time they stole the momentum back, they did something dumb to give the momentum back to Clemson. And that was kind of the theme throughout the game. It was like every time the Hokies seemed like they were getting back on track, they'd make a mistake and Clemson would capitalize because you cannot let a team like Clemson hang around and you know you can't make mistakes against a team like this and that that was really clear throughout the the entire course of the football game Clemson was more prepared they were more experienced they were more athletic across the board but I thought the Hokies did a good job hanging in there it's a good learning experience for this offense I think with so many young playmakers but I, I was really impressed with the defense and how they played. It was a good showing against the number two team in the country, and we'll just have to see where Virginia Tech goes from here. They have an easier schedule here down the stretch until they get to November where they play Miami and Georgia Tech on the road in back-to-back weeks. But I do have a good feeling coming away from this game that Virginia Tech is probably the second or third best team in the ACC right now, and that's a good place to be five games into the season where you have an opportunity now with your entire schedule left in front of you in conference play to, you know, really make some noise and hopefully you're able to, you know, succeed and finish the season on a high note here and carry some momentum in the second half. So I like where the Hokies are at. They're not as good as they will be here in two or three years. There's no reason to panic in Blacksburg, but there's plenty of reason to be frustrated by the performance on Saturday as it was another slow start by the offense and the offense just isn't there yet, but they could be once again towards the end of the year where, who knows, they could end up facing Clemson again in the ACC championship game. Mike, if you just straight up look at the box score, um, it it doesn't look like this was just a – I mean, it almost looks like Virginia Tech outplayed Clemson in, in, in some ways. Um, they outgained Clemson. They outpassed Clemson by a significant margin. Really, the big difference here, A, was the three turnovers, the two picks by Josh Jackson and the one fumble by Trayvon McMillan. Uh, one of those t- interceptions, of course, returned for a touchdown there uh, early in the fourth quarter. That made a big difference. Um, I think the other thing here is I think a lot of that progress was made late in the game. Um, Virginia Tech started racking up a bunch of yards in the fourth quarter when they were down by a significant margin at that point. You know, it, it's garbage time. You know, call it what it is. Um, it didn't help here that Virginia Tech got down pretty quickly um, midway through the first quarter. Clemson finished their second drive with, with a 60-yard touchdown pass to Tavian Feaster, and they were down 10 nothing. They held up pretty well from there, uh, gave up one touchdown late in the second, uh, second quarter, right before halftime to go down 17-3. Uh, 
it's just interesting looking back on this game like that this it never really just totally spiraled out of control for Virginia Tech it just slowly just happened for Clemson um, you know kind of controlling Virginia Tech's offense to a certain degree taking advantage of a couple of mistakes that the Hokies made and next thing you know it's a two touchdown win uh, and that's including again some some garbage time scoring from Virginia Tech so um, I, I think that it, on the whole there's probably a lot of good here but there's also some some signs for Virginia Tech that Yes, this is still a bit of a young building team, a building program, uh, going up against a Clemson team that just came off a national title and is fully prepared to go make a sh- make a run at another one. Um, and speaking of which, Mike, I, I look at the remaining Clemson schedule, and at this point, I I mean, the closest game that they've played so far was probably their home win against Auburn that was 14-6. Other than that, I don't really even know how challenged they've been, um, and I don't totally know who's going to challenge them on the schedule the rest of the way. Um, home against Wake, at Syracuse, home against Georgia Tech, at NC State, home against Florida State, home against the Citadel, at South Carolina. I mean, some people were saying that maybe Georgia Tech challenges them as much as anybody. I, th- I think if you had to pick anybody, it's probably a road game at NC State that almost beat them last year. Florida State does not look intimidating right now. We'll talk about them here in a minute, but... Clemson's well on their way here, and I, I don't totally know where the loss is now that they've they've started out the season with some pretty choppy waters, 5-0, and and not even really breaking a sweat, it feels like. I mean, this is a scary-looking Clemson team right now that I think pretty clearly has to be the favorite in the ACC. Yeah, I mentioned in the preview, you know, full disclosure, that I thought that Virginia Tech was the second toughest game remaining on Clemson's schedule, and that was with me working under the assumption that Florida State would get considerably better and maybe they still do we'll have to see but Florida State to your point does not look intimidating at all they didn't play great this weekend against Wake Forest they were able to pull out a win they're still not there offensively without DeAndre Francois at the quarterback position so kind of where do they go from here I guess that really dictates if Clemson will be challenged at all but hard to envision Florida State challenging Clemson at this point uh, the one team I, I agree with you is NC State because NC State's quietly getting better. Um, mm-hmm. They've always had the talent. They gave that one away against South Carolina in the opener, but they've quietly been getting better and a little bit more consistent on both sides of the football since then. Now all of a sudden they're sitting here at 4-1, and one, and they're going to, be going to be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, we were talking about that in the season previews, that NC State was going to be one of those teams in the ACC that could surprise some people. and. You know, it was easy to be down on them after that early season loss and that opener to South Carolina, but they've been quietly getting better, and they actually finished up a pretty solid September, you know, in which now they're 4-1 and one here heading into an October slate that looks, you know, pretty manageable, especially if they're able to, you know, pull off an upset this coming weekend against Louisville. So we'll see where NC State's at here um, by the time they meet Clemson, but I think that's the one spot where Clemson could probably have some trouble. But I think their toughest test, you know, outside of that Auburn game, was in Blacksburg last night and they were able to handle things with the Hokies and hard to envision them going anything but 12 and 0 at this juncture. Number two, Clemson 31, Virginia Tech's uh, number 12, Virginia Tech 17. I'll throw that in there just for good measure. Uh, moving on, Mike, number 14, Miami 31, Duke six. This was on Friday night in Wallace Wade. Um, Man, this was I, – I took Duke and the points. I think they were a six-point underdog here. I thought that Duke was going to give Miami some trouble. I thought that Miami had uh, been a little bit unimpressive in a couple of games so far against lesser competition. I thought Duke was prepared, you know, to maybe make some noise in the Coastal and, and cause a couple of hiccups. And that is just not how this game went at all. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it really, but – as I, as I watch it, I mean, again, we talk about who did we learn more about in this game. I, I don't know. This game has to be a referendum on either Miami or Duke. Maybe both. Certainly can't be neither. But I, I think it's a little bit of Miami being maybe everything they're cracked up to be. And maybe a little bit of Duke getting some overratedness coming off of wins over, you know, decidedly lesser competition than what Miami was. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned this in the preview as well. I mean, that Northwestern game that Duke won a few weeks ago, everybody was, you know, giving Duke these high praises like they were, you know, the cream of the crop in the Coastal, you know, the second or third best team in the in the division, which I thought was crazy. I mean, Northwestern, as we've seen now, 
over the last few weeks. I mean, they're not the same team that they were last year. They've been pretty disappointing overall. And now looking at Duke, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that they're not the team that we thought they were going up against Miami. Now, to your point, we don't really know a ton about Miami yet, but they certainly look good against Duke, a team that a lot of people thought was pretty good heading into this football game. Uh, 31-6. to Now, I was expecting Miami to win this game. I, I picked them to win and to cover this spread. I forget what the spread was. I think it might have been six and a half, something like that. Um, I picked them to win and cover. I was not expecting 31-6, to so that really surprised me. Um, it, it didn't surprise me as much that Duke wasn't able to compete across the board with the skill players that Miami had. That didn't really surprise me that much. I guess it surprised me a little bit that Daniel Jones played as poorly as he did. Only, I mean, he was less than 170 yards passing, had one interception in this football game. Um, this is now, you know, two or three weeks in a row that Daniel Jones hasn't been all that inspiring um, at the quarterback position for Duke, which is scary considering, you know, this is a guy who, you know, we all think is a good quarterback, has shown, you know, that he's able to move the team up and down the field and um, a, a guy that's one of the best quarterbacks in the Coastal Division. But he's now struggled three weeks in a row, and I think if you're a Duke fan, that's something to be weary of, especially without the skill talent around him to really succeed. And maybe that's some of the problem, too, here with Duke as well. Um, but I was really impressed with Miami. Um, the, the question has been and, you know, has been for years and is always going into every year. Okay, is Miami back? Well, I don't know if they're back yet because this is only their third game of the year. But they certainly played inspired football against Toledo, especially in the second half two weeks ago. And they looked fantastic on Friday night against Duke, um, going on the road and getting a win there by 25 points, looking like the better team from the jump. Malik Rozier, 270 yards passing in this game. He was very good. Uh, Mark Walton had a hard time getting going in the running game. Credit to Duke there. I thought Duke did a pretty good job against the run in this game. But, you know, Miami just had more skill position talent. I think that manifested itself in this football game, especially in the second half when Miami started to pull away. So I guess I learned more about Miami. I think they're a really solid football team. Um, You know, I think that they're – I thought that they were a little bit overrated. Maybe they're not as overrated as I thought they were. Um but I think I learned a little bit more about Miami in this game. I, I think Duke's just not as skilled across the board as the Hurricanes were, and I think that was apparent in that game on Friday night. Mike, I keep going back to before the season as we were singing the praises of Daniel Jones. We were on the Daniel Jones for Heisman you know, hype train, the whole thing. This is three games in a row now that Daniel Jones has been under 50% completion. And in the run game, too, combined in those three games, 40 carries – for less than 50 yards, no touchdowns. Um, he, he's thrown two picks, one intercept, or two picks, one touchdown in those games. Is that bad? It's not good. It ain't gonna win you a Heisman. I'll say that much. Um, offensive line in particular has been a problem for Duke. Um, they're having trouble protecting Daniel Jones, which isn't helping. But he's also just missing some throws, making some poor decisions. Maybe some of that is related. Uh, maybe he's getting happy feet a little bit, getting a little antsy because the offensive line has had some problems. But overall, it's not been great for Duke uh, offensively last couple games. Um, I I was kind of impressed with Miami's offense. I mean, this was another one that was kind of a slow burn. Um, it was 17-6 to at halftime, and then Miami scores a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter to put the game away. Miami's defense in particular was pretty impressive. Uh, Duke had six drives in the first half. Four of them went for at least 10 plays. So they were sustaining drives. They had a whole bunch of drives in the second half. Let's see, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven drives in the second half. Only one of them went for 10 plays, and it was the one that ended the game. Um, so Miami's defense tightens up uh, after halftime, forcing some punts, you know, causing a couple turnovers. So, um, yeah, not a great showing for Duke. Uh, starting to get some concern, especially for Daniel Jones struggling in this offense. Uh, and Miami, by the way, just turning it on, starting to look pretty good. I'm, I'm very curious. Like you said, Virginia Tech might be the second or third best team in the ACC right now. We're about to embark here in a little over a week. We're going to embark on a, an interesting little round robin between Miami, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech. That's going to decide how the division turns out, I think. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued and curious to see how these, these games go. Um, I think there's plenty of reason to like each of those teams in each of those games. Um, 
Miami gets Virginia Tech at home. Georgia Tech gets Miami after Florida State off of a bye. Um, Georgia Tech gets Virginia Tech at home. Like, there's all this different, you know, Miami should have been the favorite coming in. There's a lot of reasons to like all these teams, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how it all plays out because I think that that's the, the three-game set that's going to determine who goes to Charlotte from the Coastal. Um, Miami, though, starting to look the part, winning 31-6 to over Duke. Uh, Mike, you good to move on? Yeah, I'm good to move on, but I agree with you on your point about you know the round-robin situation. I mean, I think it's pretty clear Virginia Tech, Miami, and Georgia Tech are the three teams that have the best chance to win the Coastal Division, and that's pretty much what we expected now there's been a lot of unexpected so far you know from the Francois injury to NC State losing the opener and uh, you know Boston College looking kind of uneven Virginia being three you know being three and one going into their bye week a lot of unexpected in the ACC so far but I think the one thing that we kind of did expect to happen is for Virginia Tech Georgia Tech and Miami to be the three teams in the coastal division to kind of separate themselves I think we're starting to see that, and now we're going to learn over the next few weeks who's ultimately going to play for the ACC championship because you look at the Georgia Tech-Miami situation here coming up here in two weeks. you got Virginia Tech playing Miami, Georgia Tech in back-to-back weeks in early early to mid-November. We're going to start to learn a lot about these teams here now as we embark on conference play. Let's move on, Mike, to Winston-Salem, Florida State 26, Wake Forest 19. Did you watch any of this game? So I caught a little bit of this game. Um, let me let me say this first. Wake Forest, that defense is not a joke, Joey. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's one thing to do this against a caliber of competition like Presbyterian or Boston College offensively, right? But Like, BC's got a terrible offense. It's one thing to do it against those teams. It's another thing to do it against Florida State. DeAndre Francois or not, most talented offense they faced by far, and they were right in this thing with an opportunity to win the game. That's all you can ask for if you're a Wake Forest fan. Like, you, you want to see Florida State at full force with Francois and see how you match up. Look, I mean, they haven't looked great on offense, Florida State, but... If you're able to, you know, keep them in the mid twenties and play them competitively throughout and not get blown out, that's great progress. And it's, you know, it's a reason why that administration has put so much trust in Dave Clawson as the head coach there because he's been fantastic. And you know, we saw on Saturday another reason why, um, another reason why they have so much faith in him. Um, Florida State in this game, I thought they did a really good job running the football with their running back, specifically Jockas Patrick over, I think he had like close to 120 yards rushing. Uh, he was really solid. Blackman at the quarterback position, uh, you know, the passing game's kind of suspect at this point, as you'd expect with a, with a freshman at the helm. But That's putting it nicely. Yeah. Um, it, it's as you'd expect, and he's got to clean things up because, you know, they, get, they got some games here left on their schedule that are pretty easily losable if they can't throw the football. Against teams that can stop the run, Florida State's going to have no chance. So he's got to get things going before they face Clemson specifically. Because Clemson, as we saw last night against Virginia Tech, they can stop the run. And, um, you know, Florida State's going to have to do a better job at getting Blackman more comfortable in this offense passing the ball. That's the one overarching thing that I've, I've noticed is, you know, if they don't have a passing offense, they're in a world of trouble. But they have enough athletes to get by for now. Uh, good win by Florida State. Way to get in the win column. Uh, but good for Wake Forest putting up a great showing. I thought they played very well and had an opportunity to win the game. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, Mike, like you said, first of all, before we go into anything else, you know, kudos to Wake Forest defense. They played a fantastic game. Uh, they were getting after Florida State's offense all day. They, they were outmanned in terms of talent, and that didn't really hinder them. Um, they, they played right with them. They weren't intimidated by Florida State. Uh, they turned this into a hell of a game. Um, the, the defense in particular comes away with five sacks. That's really impressive. And, and that leads me into my point on Florida State right now is that their offense is hot garbage, Mike. It is. It looks real bad with James They're Blackman. They're super bad. They're super bad, Joey. It looks terrible with James Blackman at quarterback. I don't know what's going on right now. Florida State's a very, very one-dimensional offense. You mentioned they had a pretty good day running the ball. It wasn't bad. Um, you know, James Blackman ends up with uh, five carries for negative 39 yards thanks to those five sacks. Take that out of the equation, and they did pretty well running the ball. Um, uh, you know, 38 carries for going on 200 yards, not bad. 
But, man, they can't protect James Blackman. James Blackman is not throwing the ball well. Um, guys are not getting open at the skill positions. I tweeted out in the third or maybe the fourth quarter, Mike, I, I think the seventh circle of hell is filled with a whole bunch of infinitely looping videos of Florida State's red zone offense. I mean, it is an atrocity. That's super bad. It is awful. Um, Florida State this year has almost just completely failed to score touchdowns in the red zone. They just continue to kick field goals inside of, you know, 35 yards. It's hard to watch. Um, They are a team that, yes, can run the ball, but they are so incapable of passing it that basically everybody from here on out, until James Blackman proves that he can beat somebody with his arm, everyone's going to load up, stop the run, you know, and just dedicate themselves to that and force them to try to throw the ball and ugly games up like this. I don't know how on earth this team is going to beat Miami next week. Um, if you look for a team that can stop the run on defense, you know, for a full 60 minutes against a pretty physical team, A, and B, can rush your passer against a pretty questionably coached offensive line right now, this is going to be a nightmare for the Seminoles. So I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing from Florida State right now. The defense uh, was okay, uh, but had its moments where it was not very good either. I was surprised by that. I, th- I thought that they were going to be a little better than they were. Maybe give credit to John Walford and Wake Forest offense for that. But ultimately, um, I, we we were both very, very confident that this was a get-right game for Florida State. They were going to cover 7.5. Damn the hook in this game, Mike. They failed to cover by half a point. That's nonsense. I'll take that lump, though. That's, that happens. Um, but this was this is very, very concerning if I'm the Seminoles. Um, this... Sh- this should have been a get-right game, and it wasn't. And now I start to wonder what they're going to be able to accomplish uh, against other teams down the stretch, such as Miami, Louisville, Clemson, and maybe even Florida. Um, this this thing could go off the rails pretty quickly if they don't develop this offense a little more. Florida State 26, Wake Forest 19. Moving on, Mike, to the game that I was at, Georgia Tech 33, North Carolina 7. This was a shutout about halfway through the fourth quarter uh, for Georgia Tech. Their defense played a really good game against a a badly injured and beat up North Carolina offense. There was some, you know, some valiant effort from the Tar Heels in this game, we'll say. But there was also a whole lot of what I thought maybe some poor coaching decisions of Fedora almost going with a uh, a bit of a defeatist approach here. They really could have done a whole lot more on that on that side of the ball, I thought. Georgia Tech's offense struggled a little bit against a North Carolina defense that I thought was going to be a little more porous. Uh, I think Georgia Tech's offensive line struggled to a certain degree. Again, they had some health issues as well, a couple guys out. And so North Carolina's defensive front had some more success than I was hoping to see. But ultimately, uh, this this really wasn't that close of a game. Um, you saw it again. Taquan Marshall, Cervante Benson both go for over 130 yards. Uh, they combined for 267 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Take one Marshall, five, five for 10 for 53 yards and another touchdown to Ricky June. Um, offensively, a really good day for Georgia Tech altogether, over 400 rushing yards. Uh, North Carolina not looking good, uh, not looking like they got a whole lot going for them. They are so beat up, Mike. I saw that they are – I believe they have 17 players out for the season now, and like 13 of them were – starters at some point in time I mean that is unbelievably bad injury luck and it's it's going to go downhill pretty quickly for the Tar Heels here I think yeah I mean I didn't see a lot of this football game but you know from what I did see I mean it was pretty apparent that you know North Carolina's defense had no business matching up against Georgia Tech's rushing offense which is kind of what you know both you and I expected but I think what's a little bit of a surprise is North Carolina has been largely non-competitive this year Um, and you know, we know it's a rebuild, but, you know, we were hoping for a little bit better than that out of this football team because Larry Fedora is such a good coach. Uh, but, yeah, clear rebuild for North Carolina. Run, You know, the run defense just isn't there, um, at least to the degree where you got to stop a team like, um, you know, a team like Georgia Tech, you know, one of the best rushing attacks in the entire country. So obvious result from, you know, a team that can't stop the run and a team that's as good as right at good as good at running the football as Georgia Tech is. Georgia Tech struggled to hit big plays for a lot of this game. They hit a couple of them in the uh, in the second half. UNC's defense really wore down here. Georgia Tech finishes the game with 38 and a half minutes of possession. 
they just continue to convert third downs. They kept UNC's defense on the field the whole game. Uh, UNC's really struggled to, to just get first downs on offense. Um, that was a lot of it. They, they had three three and outs in a row to start the game on offense. Not great. And then they missed two field goals to finish the first half. Just not pretty. Um, I, and, and we try to avoid playing the direct, uh, you know, one-to-one, you know, uh, what am I thinking of? The transitive property game, Mike, where, you know, Team A beat Team B, Team B beat Team C, and so therefore Team A is better than Team C. But, I mean, a week ago we saw Duke scratch and claw, you know, almost a full 60 minutes to beat UNC, uh, finally pulling away at the very end. And, and it was, you know, a 27-17 final. In this game, Georgia Tech had UNC shut out again about 50 minutes into the game and even beyond that. Um, I, I don't know what that tells us about Duke and Georgia Tech and how they relate, but it kind of makes me feel a little better about Georgia Tech's chances later in the year against a Duke team that, again, it can be pesky and has presented some issues earlier this year for other teams. So uh, I think this is a good win for the Yellow Jackets. I was happy. Uh, they This is broke a three-game losing streak to UNC. It felt good doing it. So a uh, strong win here in Atlanta for Coach Johnson, Taquan Marshall, Curvante Benson, and Georgia Tech. By the way, A.J. Gray, two interceptions in that game. Uh, and Corey Griffin, two dropped interceptions in that game. So Strong defensive performance there, I thought, from Georgia Tech. Yeah, they tackled well. Um, Corey Griffin, man, before the half, he, he dropped what would have been a pick six, and it would have been like a 90-yard return. Um, he just had nobody in front of him, and it, the ball hit him in the pads and dropped, and he dropped another interception in the second half, which, man, do better. But anyways, Georgia Tech 33, North Carolina 7. Moving on, Mike. Uh, NC State 33, Syracuse 25. The Orange cover the, I believe, like a 12 or 13-point spread. Uh, we said that they would. We, However, we said that they would because we thought this was going to be a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a letdown spot for NC State. It might be kind of close for a while. Really, this turned into a little more of a backdoor cover type of scenario uh nc state pretty comfortably led this game for a lot of it uh and and it was really at the end that syracuse was able to catch up and make it into a one score game ultimately but um nc state bounces back pretty well from an emotional win i was pretty impressed seeing that uh meanwhile syracuse you know still kind of trying to hang on trying to do you know a little bit trying to make some noise in the acc it looks like Year two might still be a little too early. Um, they're, they're two and three and, and haven't really really put a scare into any of their conference opponents just yet. So, um, And I say any, that this is their first conference game. They didn't put a scare into NC State. Uh, they put a little bit of a scare into LSU last week for what that's worth. Um, but I don't know what this means. Um, by the way, ACC Player of the Year update here. Uh, Eric Dungy, 30 for 47 for 385, a touchdown and a pick. 16 carries, 44 yards, two touchdowns. Mike, you buying yet? You buying? Uh, no. <laughs> still, still off Eric Dungy uh, as an ACC Player of the Year candidate. I like him as a quarterback. <laughs> Good Fair. quarterback. Yeah. Fair. Um, yeah, no, really impressed with NC State. You know, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, NC State's one of those teams that's been quietly getting better. Um, and they're going to have an opportunity now in the next few weeks to really put things on display against better caliber competition in the conference. But really strong showing by NC State. Thought this was for sure a letdown spot and they would struggle with Syracuse just because it was such an emotional win against Florida State there, uh, you know, last weekend. But they were able to, you know, bounce right back from that get that win, come back in, and really handle their business against Syracuse. That was despite 385 passing yards from Eric Dungey. So really good performance. NC State had 256 yards rushing in this football game. Three different runners scored, including Reggie Gillespie, Naheem Hines, and Jalen Samuels. So, you know, really strong running game. Ryan Finley had an efficient day throwing the football. Just a really strong performance by NC State. I was impressed with them. Yeah, NC State, again, we thought this was a letdown game coming off the win against Florida State, and then this coming Thursday they are hosting Louisville on Thursday night in Raleigh. Uh, Mike, before the season I picked NC State to win that game. I don't know that I am uh, changing that thought, and of course we're going to come back and preview that game here in the next couple days, but just for giggles right now, Mike, do you have any idea what the uh, opening line on that game was? Uh, For Louisville? Louisville, NC State this coming Thursday. Um, Let's see. Um... Maybe like Louisville minus six. 
Louisville minus three, and Ooh. I'm taking the points there. I would too. Uh, I I still think the Wolfpack win that game outright. But I do too. I would have even minus six. I I feel pretty good about NC State, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with it. So we'll come back and talk about that one. But for now, uh, again, NC State pretty strong showing here. Uh, Ryan Finley with a pretty standard twenty for thirty three, hundred eighty six yards and a touchdown. Uh, Naeem Hines, big game, 19 carries for 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, NC State's rolling. They're 4-1. and one. They, they lost to South Carolina is not looking any better by the week. But um, in general, I mean, this is a, a team that's kind of starting to turn into a little bit of what we thought they might become. They've got some tough tests coming up. Their next four games, home against Louisville, on the road at Pittsburgh, at Notre Dame, home against Clemson. I think if you, go th- if you find a way to go 3-1 and one in that stretch – I think you're you're you know solidly second in the Atlantic, um, and that they're in good position to end this season in a really strong way. You know, potentially pushing for like a New Year's Six kind of bowl. So, yep. Uh, NC State has some opportunities here, but we're going to learn a lot about them very quickly. I mean, it took a DeAndre Francois injury to get to this point, but I think a second place finish is even better than most fans expected it uh, expected it to be. I mean, I think a successful season would have been getting in the top three in the Atlantic. You might even be able to salvage a top two spot now that you knocked off Florida State and, you know, they've had their injury issues and look horrible on offense right now. So, you know, I agree with you. I think you go three and one this upcoming four game stretch. I think you're in strong position, you know, into mid to late November to have an opportunity to, you know, really finish the season strong, get to maybe nine or ten wins, be in a New Year's six scenario. That would be a great season for NC State. I think a lot of fans would take that. I think you got to say, too, that this game on Thursday is probably – the game that decides that number two spot in the Atlantic at this point. Um, it's either NC state or Louisville. Yeah, I'd say so too. I mean, Florida state just looks so bad. I mean, I, I think that, NC, I think that Florida state will look a lot better um, towards the end of the year. And I, you know, I think Blackman will get more comfortable and Jimbo Fisher is a good quarterbacks coach too. So, you know, I think Florida state will look better the further into the season we get, but by then it might be too late. And NC State might solidify themselves, especially if they get a win against Louisville here on Thursday night. It'll be a great game to watch. Wolfpack 33, Orange 25. Let's move on, Mike. Pittsburgh 42, Rice 10. Pitt finally has this you know comfortable big win. It felt good. Uh, it was a long time coming this year. Um, there's still some real reason for concern here, frankly. Um, first of all, Pitt running the ball. Would you like to guess, Mike, who their leading carrier was? And once again, this is not a game of name that quadri. Yeah, I'm cheating, but it was Jordan Whitehead. Second straight week. The second straight week that Pitt's been led in rushing by a defensive player. Uh, that sounds like a problem to me. Pitt goes 33 carries for 69 nice yards and two touchdowns in this game. Man, they cannot run the ball, Mike. This is rice. They can't run the ball. I don't get this at all. And you know what's bad about that? Jordan Whitehead, one carry, 24 yards. Um, their second leading rusher, Shantez Moss, correct? I believe it was Shantez Moss. who yeah. had 14 carries for 22 yards. Ugh. So he had 13, 13 more carries than Whitehead did for two less yards against Man. Rice. Not good. Not good. Under two yards per carry. Quadri Allison, six carries for 17 yards and a touchdown. He averaged under three yards per carry. This is – man, that is not a sight for sore eyes, Mike. Um, Max Brown, by the way, had a really, really good game here. 28 for 32 for 410 yards and four touchdowns. He was, he was, he came to play. That was USC recruit Max Brown. Yes. Uh, and he was throwing to big old Jester Weah, who is quite the target on the outside. Five catches for 137 yards and a touchdown. Um, he had a big day. Pitt overall, yeah, they, they moved the ball largely through the air. Um, over 400 yards passing. They, they really just smashed Rice in this game. It, it never really was close. Uh, after their first three possessions, Pitt led 21 to nothing. They led 28 nothing at halftime, and then moving on, they they just put the game away really quickly in the second half. So overall, I mean, a good performance by Pitt, top to bottom. They were playing against Rice, who is really a pretty trash football team. Um, they they have not been competitive at all. Uh, this is only the second time this year that they've scored double digit points. Um, their, their five games now have been a 62-7 to loss to Stanford, 31-14 win over UTEP, 38-3 to loss to Houston, 13-7 to loss to FIU, and now 42-10 to loss to Pitt. So 
Luckily, Pitt making an uncompetitive team look uncompetitive. That's that's what you need them to do. But uh, still some pretty big concerns for the Panthers moving forward. We'll see what they got the rest of the way, Joey. But, yeah, no reason to be real optimistic if you're a Pittsburgh fan. I mean, you did what you were supposed to do against Rice, but I think the lack of a running game is really troubling, especially when you have most weeks where the quarterbacks don't show up. Uh, this was a rarity with Max Brown performing as well as he did. So got to run the ball better moving forward. That's a concern. Uh, defense played okay, but it was Rice, and Max Brown played out of his mind, but it was Rice. So let's see how they perform the rest of the way. But, yeah, no real reason to be to feel one way or another about Pittsburgh coming off of this win. They did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, not not real pretty, but, you know, it's a win. Uh, Pitt moves to 2-3 and three in the year. So, again, 42-10, to 10, Pitt over Rice. Uh, moving on, Mike, Boston College 28, Central Michigan 8. Uh this was kind of looks like a blowout, but it certainly was not always pretty. Um, this was not not a pretty game, not a sight for sore eyes by any stretch. Um, Boston College had plenty of problems, uh, in particular moving the ball on offense. Good. I'm looking at this quarterback line. Tell me how this makes any sense, Mike. Anthony Brown in a game that his team won by 20 points, 14 to 21 for 85 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he threw 21 passes and came away with under 100 yards. I don't know how. I don't know if I want to know how. Yeah, you don't want to know how. That's that's one of those things you don't want to think about before you go to sleep. Yeah, uh, not pretty. Uh, Boston College runs the ball 53 times, comes away with 224 yards. That's also not ideal. That um, you know, a little over four yards per carry on the entire game. Uh, for reference, Georgia Tech had about 13 more carries and came away with almost twice as many yards. So uh, run heavy is not always a good or bad thing necessarily. John Hilleman in particular, 23 carries for 89 yards and two touchdowns. Um, again, I, I don't know. Boston College, this is, I was more, I was impressed with Boston College relative to my expectations, but that also wasn't a very high bar to clear. So, you know, good for you Eagles, but this was not pretty, Mike. This is not really a sight for sore eyes at all. Uh, the one thing I will comment on, I, I agree with you offensively. Boston College just isn't very good. But defensively, second straight week, coming off that Notre Dame loss a few weeks back where they gave up like 600 yards of total offense, like 500 of which were on the ground, um, they've looked better the last couple of weeks. They performed pretty well against Clemson on the road last weekend. This past Saturday, performed pretty well. It is Central Michigan, but... Defense has played well now in two straight weeks, building momentum back, being the defense that they have been for the last couple of years. So that's the one encouraging sign if you're a BC fan. The defense has seemingly bounced back from really, really poor performance, tackling and missing assignments against Notre Dame. They look better against Clemson. They look good again on Saturday against Central Michigan. I think that's the one major takeaway from this game. If I'm a BC fan, is the defense is you know kind of back to normal. Offense is still super bad, though. Um, I do appreciate their dedication running the football because they really know they can't throw it at this point in time. Anthony Brown's been so up and down in the passing game. Uh, he's shown signs that he can really be competent as a passer. He's obviously efficient in that he's completing a high percentage of his passes, but when you go 14 of 21 for 85 yards, I mean, come on. Like, what, what are we doing here? We're It's, what, four yards a pass? Got to do better than that, so... We'll see where Boston College ends up in the passing game here moving forward. My guess is it's not going to be very good, but lean on that running game. Hope that Hillman gets it going and continue. I mean, he had three touchdowns on Saturday, so he looked very good. It was a pretty good running game, I guess, overall for BC. It helped them pull away in this football game, but you know they got to perform better as a whole on the offensive side of the football, and that's been a common theme now for as long as Steve Adazio has been the head coach. Boston College 28, Central Michigan 8. Last one, Mike, uh, Louisville, number 17, Louisville, 55, Murray State, 10. This is an FCS matchup. It was pretty straightforward. Uh, this was never really all that close. Louisville was up 35-3 to at halftime. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 249 and three touchdowns through the air, 100 yards and another touchdown on the ground. He becomes the ACC's all-time leading rusher among quarterbacks. Uh, so he just continues to etch his name in the history books. Uh, overall, a pretty strong day for Louisville, top to bottom. They're still struggling a little bit with turnovers, but uh, Jawan Pass, the freshman quarterback, you know, heir to Lamar Jackson, did come in. And he was 14 and 19 for 115 and a touchdown. So, 
I don't know. There's a whole lot you can complain about for uh, Louisville here, and and uh, really they looked pretty good cruising as they gear up to play in NC State on Thursday. Uh, they didn't cover seven touchdowns, so I guess that's something to complain about. They did not. No, they did not. It was a 47 and a half point spread, and I remember uh, I my phone pinged when they scored their last touchdown. I saw it was 55 to 10. I was like, wait, what was the spread? And I started doing some math. I was like, oh crap, they're going to come up just short. So. Uh, yeah, Murray State barely covers 47 and a half. Uh, you know, whatever. It's fine. Uh, yeah, Louisville outgains Murray State by just short of 600 yards, Mike. It was 676 to 80. Do your job, right? Do what you're supposed to do. They that, did. That is not safe for work. Uh, Louisville had 38 first downs to Murray State's five. So, ew. Um, this was just very, very one-sided. Um, yeah, Louisville 55, Murray State 10. Mike, we got a go ACC moment of the week. And, uh, okay, so let me give you the situation here. So it's mid-third quarter on Friday night, Miami at Duke. Uh, Miami has the ball on the Duke 41-yard line. It's fourth down and several yards. Uh, and so they're going to line up to punt, right? right? They're going to, you know, look, it's a little bit deep in Duke territory, but... Ultimately, you know what, like, let's just try to pin Duke deep, right? And so uh, they snapped the ball, Mike, and, and they did they pin Duke deep? Uh, let's just say they didn't pin Duke deep. In fact, they didn't pin Duke at all. Did, did they get a touchback? <sighs> you know what, Joey? No, they did not get a touchback. Didn't just kick it too far, get it in the end zone? No, but you know what they did do, Joey? What, Mike, what did they do? Negative one-yard punt. Oh. Miami, what are you – yeah. Negative one yard punt. It, how is that even a thing? Negative it, one yard punt. It, I think it got blocked, right? It got. It must have gotten blocked. You know what? It didn't get blocked, Joey. How How does this happen? Mike, have you ever punted a football in your life? I have, and you know, I guess I could see how it could happen when I'm punting, <laughs> but when you're a punter on scholarship at a major ACC school, how do you let that happen? I. Wow. I've seen I've seen me do it, but for them to do it on national TV. I mean, in Not fairness to the punter, he is 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, that's a long way. You got to get all the way back to the line of scrimmage. So, but only 14 yards of it he got back. Um, man, Mike, this was this was ugly. Um, wow, go ACC for the minus one yard punt uh, from plus territory for Miami there on Friday night. Obviously, it didn't matter. They ran away, ran away with the game anyways, but. Uh, yeah, not ideal. Uh, negative one yard punt for Mr. Zach Fiegels. Congratulations. You have the go ACC moment of the week. Well, we're not done handing out awards, Joey. We got the Brian Van Gorder. You tried award. Oh yes. Oh man. Those last few drives, of that central Michigan Boston college game were pretty rough, huh? Oh, inject that straight into my veins. Let's go. <sighs> what was it, Joey? We had what? Eight drives left. And what was it? It was like four or five punts and turnovers and I believe there was only one punt actually. one punt yeah yeah so offense on display I mean I here's the thing right so the Chippewas don't have the greatest offense in the world right and neither does BC fair statement fair statement right but for anybody who was tuning into that game for offense and for the love of god I hope you weren't um if you're tuning into that game for offense you simply didn't get it Let's just put it that way, Joey. You might need therapy. Happen. Yeah, might need therapy after that. Very ugly. Very ugly. Not great. Yeah, so Boston College scores a touchdown about halfway through the third quarter to go up 28-8. to eight. And, Mike, here's the drive chart from there. Interception, miss field goal, miss field goal, punt, interception, fumble, turnover on downs, fumble, end of game. Hope you're a turnover guy. Oh, man. When you, when you have eight drives and you only punt the ball once – and neither team scores, watch out. You probably want to look away because it's it's going to get real ugly real quick. Um, man, Boston College, Central Michigan, you guys tried to look like competent football players, but holy cow, that was a, that was a nightmare. So uh, good job. Good try. Good try. Could have been better. Yeah, it really could have been. Uh, Mike, one more thing I want to do before we get out of here. I've got some people to thank for social media. Uh, we've got a couple new likes on Facebook. Thank you to Donald Turner and Brett Turner. I'm assuming that's like father, son, or brothers, or something. Or maybe they just don't know each other at all, but they just have the same last name. 
Uh, also got a like on there from my big brother, Nate Muller. It was good to see him this weekend and uh, appreciate the shout out on Facebook. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, you're, you're fully uh, endorsing everything that we're doing and saying on here, which I wouldn't wish on anybody, but, you know, for whatever it's That's worth. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to those guys. Um, Mike, is there anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? I think we're good. We got an exciting week six coming up here, Joey. Week six already. We do. This is going to be a really good week, Mike. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, week five, though, was definitely learn something week, and we learned a, a lot of stuff about a lot of these teams, for better or worse. We're starting to get some better, you know, picture shaping up of how the ACC is going to turn out this year. Kind of what to expect from some of these teams, some of these games. Uh, week six, like you said, should be very interesting. So we're going to come back and preview that here in the next couple of days. I'm thinking probably Tuesday night, get ready for Wednesday morning so that you guys can get ready for this Thursday night. First ACC Thursday night action of the year uh, with Louisville traveling to Raleigh to take on NC State. So get ready for that. In the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can also send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, anything else to the longest email address, no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on the Overcast app, and several other places, I'm sure. Uh, you guys could subscribe and rate and review us and, and tell us about all the good and bad things that we're doing and uh, what you want to see on the show to make it better. As you can also slide up in the DMs on Facebook, Mike, which is where they can find us. Yep, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. we got a lot of good stuff on there, like our podcast, like I mentioned. So. Listen to that stuff. I kind of ruined the lead in there. That's my bad. That was, that's well, your thing. Hey, man, I've I've ruined plenty of things in this podcast over the last like, year and a half. So, I mean, hey, it's all good. Like, for example, for example, last week, calling Duke the third best team in the ACC Coastal for some reason. <laughs> I completely omitting Georgia Tech with a Georgia Tech alum <laughs> right across from me virtually. It's swing and a miss. Hey, go ACC to that, especially with what Duke did this past weekend. Um, good Lord. Yeah, not great. Uh, Mike, I think that's all we got. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? No, nah, I think we're good, man. Let's right. preview week six here in a couple of days. Hell yeah, let's do it. This should be a fun one. Uh, so please tune in when we do so. But uh, until then, appreciate you guys listening. Uh, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you guys again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.